This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me this week in the studio is Melissa Dahl, a senior editor at The Cut, where she covers health, science, and psychology. She is also the author of Cringeworthy, A Theory of Awkwardness. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. Mostly, I really want to just spend the next hour asking you about the ongoing coverage of the Harvard professor story, yes. but I realize <laughs> that you probably get asked about that a lot, and that's not exactly the purview of this show. I know. We do so many—I don't know. I, I love my job so much. We do so many cool things. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it has just been a remarkable story, and yeah. um, oh, my goodness. I, I, I kind of wish that someone involved had written uh, a couple of years ago. Written to you? Yeah. Oh, my no. God. That would be amazing. <laughs> it does feel like a kind of classic Dear Prudence question. Yes. But alas, we will have to content ourselves with the questions that we have today. Yes. They're pretty good, though. If you would be so good as to read our first letter. Absolutely. Yes. So this one is called 50 Ways to Leave Your Psych Doc. Dear Prudence, I know you tell a lot of people to get a therapist, and this is great advice. I'm in my mid-20s and have been in therapy for about six years for depression, anxiety, and most recently, sexual trauma, mostly with the same therapist. I like him, but he is extremely popular, and it's hard for me to get an appointment with him more than once every month. Sometimes I've gone as much as five months without an appointment. He's also a cis straight man in his early 50s, and I am a bisexual girl who very recently has begun to question whether or not I am a girl at all. I don't think he would have a negative reaction to my bringing up gender identity, but I feel pretty hesitant around him. I think what I need is a therapist who is available to meet more frequently and who is very experienced with LGBTQ plus gender identity issues, as well as trauma. There is the added complication that I am still young enough to be on my mother's insurance, and she has been kind enough to pay the copay for my therapy. However, she is pretty homophobic, and I'm not sure she'd be willing to continue to pay for therapy if she knew I was focusing on gender and sexuality. I've done the math, and I think I can afford to pay out of pocket if I need to. What I'm wondering then is, can I keep my current therapist, meet with him once every few months, as I have been doing, while also finding a new therapist who can meet more frequently to supplement? Would that be cheating on the therapist I have? If so, do you have any advice on how to break up with a therapist as I struggle with asserting myself in those kinds of situations? I do think there's lots that we can help this letter writer with. The first thing that I want to say, which is just good news, is no therapist will tell your mother the the topic of conversation. Yes, yes. That is something that this person doesn't have to worry about at all, I think. Um, What really struck me, though, was that they're currently seeing this therapist – not more than once a month. Um, that mm-hmm. I just just speaking from personal experience, I actually just with my therapist went to every other week, and she was really hesitant to do that, but um, but was like, okay, let's try it out. And you know, it's it's turning out she was right. It's it's not it's not really enough. You just you spend the whole time like playing catch up, and and you just end up being 
it, it just it's, it stays really superficial. Um, so I, I can't imagine right. what once a month would be like. Um, so. I was a little surprised by that, too. And I thought, like, if I were this therapist, I would say at a certain point, if I'm not able to see people regularly, I need to stop accepting new clients. Yes, yes. Um, and maybe even help some of my existing clients find somebody else who's more available. So that's not to say that this guy is a terrible therapist, but it doesn't sound like he's currently managing his schedule very well. Absolutely. That was really surprising to me. I mean, my therapist made it sound like it, it's super standard um, once a week uh, is, is kind of the uh, minimum. Um, and it's turning out she's right. She's smart. <laughs> Um, right. Yeah. Have you ever, by the way, like told a therapist that you were going to end therapy with them or that you were looking for someone else? Or have you only ever just made the change and then emailed them afterwards? Like, do you have any experience with having that conversation in person? This is my very first therapist, actually. And I like. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I know. Um, I like her a lot. Um, but I also. It's funny. Um, you know, I edit a lot of stories about um, psychology, which um, ends up being a lot about therapy. And some something we've done a couple versions of is this question of how to break up with a therapist. People, people get really nervous about it, which I understand. I mean, you come to kind of think of this person as a as an authority figure, as someone you kind of don't want to disappoint somehow. But um, but it, it it doesn't have to be such a um, you're you're a little bit in the driver's seat there, you know. Um, you can kind of just uh, the way to do it. Actually, now I'm remembering these these stories I've edited is is you can just bring it up with the therapist. Um, if see if they're amenable to that, but you can talk to them about the reasons you're thinking of of seeking treatment from somebody else. And and here it's 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 a pretty valid uh, even if you just stick with the like I need to see someone more frequently than you're available that's uh that's pretty unemotional that's um i think this person could be feel pretty free to to say that right yeah to me i I think oftentimes people especially when it's their first therapist will fear that the conversation will be really uncomfortable or the Mm -hmm. therapist will try to talk them out of it but this is how every therapeutic relationship ends eventually the person moves on so i think therapists are a lot less fragile about it than most people (laughs) tend to think right right um Every time I've stopped seeing a therapist, I have just said, you know, uh, I think my next session will probably be my last or I'm planning on on wrapping this up in another month or two. I wanted to let you know as far ahead of time as I could. And if I have a particular reason, I'll say or I'll just, you know, mention like um, I'm just I'm, I'm ready to bring this particular therapeutic relationship to a close. And yeah, that's totally fine. A- and since this guy's already so hard to see. I might even suggest just saying it in an email. I know. Um, because yeah. if you're waiting for another three months just to see him and have that conversation, it doesn't sound like the relationship's incredibly strong to begin with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if it's me, I would just – if I have an appointment scheduled soon, I'd go have that conversation in person. And if not, I would just say, just wanted to let you know, um, I'm looking for somebody who's available to meet with me weekly. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to be trying to schedule a next appointment. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to let me know. But this is going to be my – this last session will have been my last one. Um, super straightforward. Yes, I think that language is so perfect. When, when they asked – you know, for advice on how to break up, like it sounds like they kind of want some help with the language. It made me think of 
when I'm struggling to write something, sometimes I just tell myself, like, just say the thing. Like, meaning, like, don't worry about how you say it. Don't worry about saying it in the most creative, best way possible. Just say it straightforwardly and plainly and get the message across. And um, maybe that might be helpful for this person here as well. Or they could just repeat what exactly what you said. <laughs> yeah, I think there's that fear of, like, I'm struggling with asserting myself because the I think the thought is it'll be sort of like breaking up with a boyfriend yeah. or a girlfriend yeah. um, where I will have to break the news to them. They'll be surprised. They might be upset. They'll probably try to talk me out of it. Again, un- unless this guy is really unusual for a therapist, my guess is he will hear that and say, that makes sense. Thanks so much for letting me know. Yeah. Um, so I-, I don't think it's even going to be a matter of asserting yourself so much as just saying something that happens to him frequently, um, that he's totally used to, that he knows how to handle. Clearly, he's you know his business is thriving. You are not about to like put him in a position where he's going to like struggle to make a living. So all you need to say is I'm looking for somebody with more availability. Thank you so much for all your help. Yes. Um, And if you don't want to struggle to make the appointment just to say that in person, totally okay to call him and leave a message or talk to him over the phone or say it in an email. Any of those are fine. Yes. Um, When it comes to finding another therapist, again, you can just say to your mom, this guy was only available every couple of months and that's not working for me. I'm looking for a therapist right now who's available to meet weekly. Um, I will continue to make sure that they are in network and you will get bills from a different office. Exactly. Um, Those are the facts. Yeah. Just stick with that. Yeah. And even if you found a therapist whose like website says, I specialize in, you know, talking with people about gender identity issues or sexuality. That's not usually going to be their only Mm -hmm. area of focus. Mm -hmm. So I I don't even think like if you're worried that your mom's going to go investigate this new therapist, you will still have lots of plausible deniability or you can even like pass it off as like, yep, well, it's a big city. They're always, uh, you know, specializing in that over here. (laughs) Right, right. Yes. Yes, yes. I I think this person has a a pretty straightforward path forward. Yeah. I, I totally understand your concerns, but I don't think any of them are going to materialize. I think you are safer than you feel yourself to be. And I think that your therapist will understand you'll mm-hmm. be able to find somebody who is confidential. You know, your mom's not going to get a new bill that suddenly says like uh, gender doctor or like gender therapist. Like it's just going to be a therapy bill. <laughs> right, right. And this is a great life experience too of just saying like, this is what I need. And then leaving it at that. You know, that's kind of how you quit a job. Yeah. That's how you leave a relationship. You can just, you can go. Yeah. Um, And same thing. You you could continue your current therapist. I just think it sounds to me like the only reason you would be seeing him is because you feel afraid about ending that Mm -hmm. relationship. And that I don't think is a good reason to keep going every couple of months, especially since it already sounds like a real scheduling hassle. So just cut that one, cut that guy loose and then look for somebody else. And I also totally get like talking about gender and therapy is super vulnerable. And it's very understandable that you would want to go to somebody who has a lot of experience doing that. Mm -hmm. So it's all reasonable. You get to do all of this. I I don't think there's going to be serious roadblocks or impediments toward making this happen. And Mm -hmm. good luck. Good luck. Yes. Okay, so we're we're about to level up in terms of uh, complexity. I know. Uh, I I had a couple of questions on this one because I think there's I think it's both a painful situation and there's an opportunity for curiosity here. So with that said, I should just read it. Mm -hmm. Um, The subject is not a father anymore. Dear Prudence, I raised Lisa from 5 to 15 before her mother and I divorced. She called me dad. Her biological father would show up maybe once a year despite having visitation for every other weekend and living in the same city. I helped Lisa pay for college and was there every time she needed help to move to another state. I would see her when she came back to visit her mom, and she would come over sometimes to see my family on holidays. I loved her. 
She's 22 now and engaged. Maybe I was expecting too much, but I imagined myself walking her down the aisle. I got a rude shock when Lisa briskly informed me that her, quote, real dad was going to do that. I was shocked and asked for an explanation. Lisa told me it wasn't any of my business. She has also stopped calling me dad. I haven't brought it up since because I don't want to damage what's left of the relationship, but this was a sucker punch and it hurts. My ex has also contacted to ask for help with the wedding costs. We haven't talked much over the years. I think it's rather over the top to ask me to pony up the money while I'm also not her, quote, real dad. I will get a wedding present if I am invited, but the rest is too much to ask. How do I start this conversation? Should I ask my ex what's going on with Lisa? Lisa has made it crystal clear that she thinks the matter is closed. I would like at least an explanation. This came out of nowhere to my eyes. I'm not unhappy if Lisa reconnected with her biological dad or even just wanted to start calling me by my first name. It's the complete erasure of those 18 years that hurts and denying me as a father figure. Wow. I mean, there's just yeah. so much hurt and confusion in this in this letter. Um, I mean, the, the thing about weddings that can be really beautiful but also can be painful is it ha- they have a way of putting into really stark terms what people mean to each other you know um mm. this this other this this uh quote real dad is is walking her down the aisle and so that means this person's interpreting that as i'm not the real dad and that's something that um there are just all kinds of versions of that with um with weddings i mean so so that that hurt is is real, and I, I understand that, and I've I experienced lesser versions of that. Um, but um, something that stands out to me is this: just this last line that that she's denying me as a father figure. I I think that is a bridge too far for me. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's what she's doing. Um, I, I I did think that that was part of what was going on. Just just between the language of this is my real dad this is not your business and I'm abruptly no longer calling you dad. Mm-hmm. That does strike me as a, a, an attempt to to retract a relationship that, that did used to yeah. feel possible or present for the two yeah. of them. And that I think is where the opportunity for curiosity comes in because I want to hold a couple of things to be possible at the same time. One of which is, you know, she's 22 years old. That's still pretty young. Yeah, There's a lot of ways in which 22 is not unlike still being a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, both in terms of just like, you know, living experience, brain development, um, all, all, all other manner of things. Kind of so asserting I, your I, identity. I would, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and oftentimes people that age are really good at hurting their parents mm-hmm. in the way that they know they're the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I, I would stress for you, letter writer, because you have been her dad and and you still get to hold that relationship in your heart regardless of how she's doing is is to try to think about playing the long game here. And if there's an opportunity a couple of months from now or a couple of years from now um, to to reconcile or to try to mend some of this, to know, like, I'm the parent here. I'm, you know, the older adult. I have more experience. Part of parenting is often about um, extending compassion and forgiveness to kids when they Mm -hmm. act out. And so thinking about how can I make sure that without, you know, being a doormat or or doing things that would be painful to me – how do I make sure that I can stay patient and available for for some change a little further down the road? Yeah, uh, that's one thing that I want to hold to be true. The other thing I think is, you know, you say that you raised Lisa from five to fifteen, and then later you talk about the erasure of the eighteen years. Um, and I'm a little curious 
you know, I know she said the subway was closed, so I understand you don't want to like go knocking on her door and demand an explanation. But I do think rather than demanding an explanation to go back and just say, um, you know, I'm still really hurt and confused by the sudden change. I had thought that our relationship was pretty good, but I'm wondering if there's something over the last couple of years since your mom and I split up that I have missed um, or, or that I have failed to see or ways that you may have felt like I stepped out of your life or, or left you. And if, if there's something that you would like to share with me that I have done that hurt you, I hope you would let me know because I would want to try to make that right. I love you and I care about you. Um, I, I don't want to try to get in the way of your relationship with your other dad at all. But I, I would like for things to be peaceful and loving between us if that's possible so if there's something you haven't told me previously because you're afraid of how i might react i want you to know i would welcome hearing it um i I think that's your opportunity there because i do Mm -hmm. wonder if there are ways in which she experienced your your somewhat increased distance after your divorce from her mother as a, a rejection or something that there may be hurt underneath her her anger right now um, and if she were to share that with you uh, in a in a moment of vulnerability, you might be able to kind of both acknowledge ways in which you have hurt one another. And you could try to, um, you know, reflect uh, over the last couple of years and think, is that true? Were there ways that I distanced myself after the divorce that I didn't want to acknowledge at the time? Um, are there things that I can apologize for and try to make right now? Yeah. Does that strike you as reasonable? That does strike me as reasonable. I guess I just... It's it's just so, you know, I mean, this is just the nature of all these questions that I'm just so curious to hear more from Lisa. Um, like, I, yeah. I, I wonder how much anger there is here or is she, um, is there a chance she is just, I don't know, she's 22 and she's getting married. Is she just trying to be super traditional and like I, my my biological dad is, is going to f- play this role because hmm. I just want everything to go by the book or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just curious to know more about about her thinking um but you know that's tough because she says it's it's not any of this letter writer's business um but there has to be a way that they could kind of have some kind of you know maybe maybe if he wasn't asking for an explanation but just a conversation like you were saying um yeah um what do you think about the 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 money question yeah sorry that was just a really good point i think that last thing too is just just to make it clear like i'm not demanding an explanation of course you don't have to share this with me if you don't want to but i am available if you ever change your mind i would love to talk more about this not because you need to justify your behavior to me um but just because this is painful and i miss you and i do think of myself as your dad one of your dads um, yeah and i i would hate to lose that so yeah I, i think that's the right tone to take there where even if she gets you know petulant or angry or resentful to recognize okay right now this is my kid acting like a you know it's kind of classic for a teenager to say you're not my real dad that's something teenagers (laughs) do to their dads you know so and and, you know 22 is not that far out so again that's not to say that you have to pretend this doesn't hurt or say it's actually fun and fine that you're doing this but um to again play that long game and remember she may one day come to regret this or change her mind and I want to be there when she does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, when it comes to the money, I, I, I think, you know, Lisa has not asked you for this money. It has come from your ex. Good point. I think it is okay for you to say to your ex, um, you know, I don't want to talk about this with you. I, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of like a, a better way of like, you know, I'm kind of going through something of my own with Lisa right now. Um, 
if she wants to talk to me about money, I'll have that conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the person I'm going to have this conversation with. Yeah. Um, I think is an appropriate boundary to draw. Yeah. Um, For me, I just started to think about kind of the um, – Almost like the the motivation or the attitude or something um, where the um, the upset about the money question is coming from. You know, if it's if it's a little bit of like a tit for tat situation, like, well, I'm not walking you down the aisle, so you don't get any. I'm not paying for this wedding. That strikes me as a little bit like um, I, that. I'm not so comfortable with. You know, that might be something that he would come to regret. But if it's something, um, if he's uncomfortable generally with the idea of. Um, of spending money on this, that's something different. But just I would, I would, I would say to the letter writer, kind of maybe examine your motivation for or, or where the where this upsetness about the the, the money question is coming from. Um, I, I just wouldn't want it to be a retaliation or something. So. Yeah, and I think that would be important to frame it not as retaliatory or angry or like until you say this to me, I won't pay for the wedding. Like definitely don't dangle it. Yes. Um, as like if you have this conversation, then I would consider paying for the wedding. I also I tend to think that paying for weddings, if people can afford offering to help that with their kids, it's a wonderful gift. Um, I would not put it in the category of an automatic expectation, even if mm-hmm. you do have a good relationship with your parents. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it's totally okay. Um uh, you know, and I think there's also that concern about like right now, I don't know if I'm invited to the wedding. And and I do yeah. think that that is an understandable concern of like, you know, would she only want money from me and then never to talk to me again? That might be really painful. So, uh, yeah, I would say you don't have to. Um, you have not. Again, Lisa has not asked you for the money. It's appropriate for you to say to your ex-wife that this is a conversation you would have with Lisa, but but not with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um and then beyond that, again, it might just because I think there's an opportunity here for you to really be the adult, um, even to think through, like, even if I'm not invited, I might want to send a present. Um, even if I'm not willing to make a substantial financial contribution, I might want to just say for my own sake, for the thought of my kid, I want to donate, you know, a $100, a couple hundred dollars, something not insignificant, but also that's not probably shouldering the the lion's share of the cost of the wedding. It's just a gesture of, again, like, I will try to repay um, anger with kindness here um, within limits. Again, I'm not saying pay for the wedding, hope that buys her off, give her everything she wants in the hopes that eventually she's willing to have a conversation with you. But I think a small gesture of, I am not going to fight fire with fire here. Mm-hmm. You can trust that I'm going to keep con- like acting like a father even if you don't want me to be a father to you on a regular basis, you can still count on me for loving, compassion, firm boundaries, but not retaliation. That's really beautiful. The not retaliation thing is exactly is exactly where my thoughts went too. Um, and I just realized you've you've said the um, play the long game. I just saw I wrote down you know don't don't close doors here. So I think that's um, we're on the mm. same page about that too. So. Yeah, I want to follow up with this one. I do too. I'd love to hear from Lisa and and I think again the opportunity there even if she doesn't want to have this conversation right now if you just want to spend a little time looking back non-defensively and asking are there ways where once her mom and I divorced I um, removed myself a little bit from her life are there ways that if I had it to do over again I would act uh, 
more carefully about making sure Lisa knew what a priority she was to me. Are there things that I did that I regret or things that I didn't do that I regret? Is there an opportunity here for me? Not to say, here's why this is all my fault and her behavior was totally understandable, but just to stop and ask, you know, is she coming from a place of pain and is there something I can do about that? Right. Like when people give you information about yourself that doesn't kind of match with what you know or understand about yourself, it can be really hard to take that in and not be defensive. But, you know, she is saying, you know, it's not any of your business. She's not talking about this. She's not calling you dad. That is information that you probably should take in and take seriously and um, kind of in- investigate that what's going on there. Yeah. So. And it's just hard. It, you know, there could be some validity to the things that she's heard about. She could also be lashing out in really inappropriate ways. Both of those things can be true. I don't want to say either you did terrible things and you totally deserve this or you're completely blameless and she's being an unreasonable child. Mm-hmm. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle and that's mm-hmm. complicated. And yeah. that's why I think, again, just the long game is going to be key here. And I'm just sorry. It's hard. I know. It's so hard. Yeah. You want to take us to a slightly lighter question? Yes, I love this question. I'm curious to hear um, how this conversation will go about this question. Okay. How do I tell my partner to tell more succinct stories about her day? My partner of several years is one of the most considerate people I know, but seems to lack any sympathy for her audience, in particular when sharing an incident from work. What could be summarized as a coworker filled in a form incorrectly, resulting in a headache for me, becomes an epic replete with indecipherable acronyms, forgettable names, and more ranting than the incident merits. It doesn't help that she works in a highly bureaucratic and technical field. She shares these long-winded stories with me and with friends. How can I tactfully ask her to abbreviate what she shares or at least make more of an effort to translate for a popular audience? She does not receive criticism well, though would be capable of telling more enjoyable stories if she were simply mindful about it. It's not that I don't want to listen or give sympathy. It's just her epics have become a routine chore for me and are really awkward in social situations. At least I find myself cringing. Oh, my God. I Like, I just read this and I was just like, oh, my God, it me. Like, I have been that just horrible ranting person that's just like I can feel people getting bored with my stupid work stories, but I can't stop talking. So <laughs> so I have sympathy for everybody all around here. Um, this, it, this is like not as serious as the other two questions we've talked about, but this one is the one that tripped me up the most. I don't know what to say to this person. <laughs> yeah, I definitely saw myself in both parties. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like on the one hand, okay, it, you know, just to kind of like step back and like the way the way we treat work in like, not not to be all like in this society, but like in this society, the way that we treat work, we treat it as like the most important thing in our lives. You know, it's kind of like a replacement to religion. Some people have said, so of course we're going to like rant about it and, you know, complain about it and and talk about it. And so that's understandable. So so sometimes I think like, well, maybe part of being somebody's friend is just like hearing their boring work stories every once in a while. But um, But it sounds like this isn't that. This is well, it sounds like this is more than that. Either that or this person is you know, just easily annoyed. Um, I am what, – what do you think about this? I am all confused. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean I really go back and forth of like is it reasonable for you to be embarrassed of your partner? Like is there a part of you that has just reached the kind of compassion limit and so you yeah. feel like everyone else is at the same level as yes. you? You know, um, I don't. I don't know like – it's 
it's not super clear whether or not other people are having the same response that you are to your partner. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think whenever you do talk about this with her, don't worry about her friends, I would say. Because at that point, you you lose some of the direct knowledge that you have. Right. And I think that would be more likely to put her on the defensive of like, not only are you frustrating me, I believe that all of your friends are sick of you. And it doesn't sound like you have total confirmation that they feel the exact same way. Right. Obviously, the thing I'm, you know, I noticed was that she doesn't receive criticism well. And I'm curious about what that looks like for her, because there's a lot of ways not to receive criticism well. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you've ever in the past had a sort of follow-up conversation, maybe when she's had a chance to cool down and say, like, I get that when we talked about this the other day, tempers ran really high, and I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you or that I think you're a bad person, but it's also really important to me that we find ways to talk about difficult stuff. Yes. um, And that you can understand I'm not trying to, like, fundamentally change who you are. It doesn't mean I don't love you or care about you or want to hear about things. It's not, like... Stop telling me about things that frustrate you now and forever. Um, But I do want to find a way to talk about this that moves past the initial defensiveness. Do you think we can do that? I think that's going to be pretty key here. Absolutely. I mean, I wonder, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's been going on for too long that this might be a weird change of tactic now, but maybe in the beginning you could have just teased her about it, you know, the indecipherable acronyms, the forgettable names, you know, I think that that is maybe something I wish someone had done to me when I was in the throes of. Well, I'm, and I'm also thinking about, you know, it turns into ranting, which I'm thinking back about when I did this a lot. I was really upset about work in a way that I wish, I kind of wish someone had, like, had had kind of held up a mirror to my behavior. Like, hey, like, you, you, you seem like you're going on about this for a long while. You seem pretty angry. Like, is there is there a way, is there something you could change, you know? Um, and I guess I'm just getting this out of this this ranting, but that, that just seems to point towards something that is a, maybe a little more serious for her. Like, it sounds to you like boring bureaucratic nonsense, but for her, it's it's her day and it's meaningful. And I wonder if if she could be shown that she's kind of ranting about these things that um, maybe she could figure out how to make her situation better. Um, Yeah. I had the same thought, um, which is that part of the opportunity here is to say, I've noticed that your stories from work tend to be pretty intense, really frustrating, and the same problems seem to come up over and over again. And one of the things that I just want to, you know, talk about is, Do you think that you want to try to look for a different job? Like when you think about work in your life, how stressful would you rate it on a daily basis? Like do you think that you could do this for another couple of years? Like how do do you feel about your job? Um, Because I feel like we often talk about it on a micro level. And I I think we have enough information about how frustrating it is for you on a regular basis that at least my perception is you are miserable at your job and you hate it every day. Is that your experience? Um, and if not, why don't we spend a little time talking about the things that you do like about your job? Yeah, I mean, it, it will. I have. I feel like I have. I have rectified my behavior, but I have in the past been this person who just rants about stuff. And then um, I had a, a good friend 
call me on it. It was about a relationship. And and I didn't even realize that's how I was talking about this relationship. And it was one that needed that needed to end. And that was hard to hear. But uh, in the long, long run, I was grateful for that person to have pointed this out to me. Like, hey, this is how you're always talking about this situation. Do you do you know that? Um, that that might not be something she's even realizing she's doing. And I think also to stress, like, you know, normally you're really thoughtful, you're really considerate. And not to say that this is you being inconsiderate, but this is an area of your life where when you start talking about work, uh, something kind of changes and, and you suddenly feel like you're in this really intense moment of deep frustration and, and a feeling of powerlessness. Um, and it doesn't seem like you know what to do with those feelings or or what's going to solve any of these problems or how to handle yourself or kind of uh, your ability to check in with other people seems to get um, sidelined. And I, I think this is just a really good opportunity to talk about what's going on for you in those moments. Yeah. So there's, that's all like the big picture stuff. And then I think it's okay to say sometimes these anecdotes get really long and really involved. And I would love to be able to, you know, sometimes let you know, can we wrap this up? I would love to talk about books or movies or just sit in silence for a minute. I'm not doing this punitively. I'm not doing this because I don't care about your job. But I want to start establishing some limits here. Can we do that together? And again, if her initial reaction is really defensive and bad, I think it's fine to say, let's take a little while. Let's calm down. We'll take a walk. And and, but we will talk about it again later. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not just going to end it because you got defensive. Yeah. And so for you, then the challenge will be my girlfriend is frustrated or upset and we're going to keep talking about this and I'm not going to be able to fix it and I'm still going to have to be able to articulate my own needs and my own limits even in the face of her defensiveness. But I think that will be very worth doing and if she's normally a very considerate person, I think, you know, eventually you will make progress here. It's just maybe going to take a little while and if she kind of goes to, oh, so does that mean you don't want to hear about my job at all? You just don't care? I think you can you know, pretty easily answer that one and say, like, I don't think that's a realistic assessment of the situation. Yeah. This is reminding if it is if it is something that, you know, maybe she can't change her situation. It's just going to stay the way it is. This is reminding me of um, something I had with a boyfriend where we would have to be around somebody um, that drove us both crazy and we would um, leave the situation and just if we let ourselves, we would just rant forever just about this person and how mm-hmm. how much she drove us crazy. And so we established a rule that like, okay, we can do this for 10 minutes <laughs> and then we have to move yeah. on. Um, and I, I wonder um, if something like that uh, could work here. Just like, yes, I will. Yes, I will listen to you. Yes, get it out. But but then then let's move on. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know. It, it may not be – I think sometimes I will throw out, like, maybe you need to change jobs, and I'm just sort of, like, I don't always have time to go into, like – and, of course, that's not always possible. Like, right. it, it may be that the solution to this looks nothing like getting a new job, at least for a while. Um, but then to say, like, there need to be other ways for you to work through some of this frustration. Yeah. And whether that mean therapy, a yeah. journal – decompressing when you get home from work, setting aside a little time each day or every couple of days to go over the things that are really frustrating and then saying, okay, I'm done. I am now going to focus on enjoying the time outside of work by not reliving it mentally every hour that I'm off the clock. Um, That will be helpful for her too. Yeah, absolutely. It's Yeah, one of the awful things about having a really frustrating, high-stress job is it just starts to take up residence in your mind at all hours. I know, and no one else understands it except for i guess your coworkers, but um but but that can turn toxic they're often too. the cause <laughs> well that too yeah. but um but you know you go out and you 
and and you you have these conversations, but with people who understand the indecipherable acronyms or whatever, like that, that's not always productive either. So, yeah, working out this frustration, which is real and acknowledging that it's real, but working out it out in other ways and, and not, you know, expecting your partner to just take all of it is uh, that seems reasonable. Part of the sensitivity there is like, I think on some level, she also doesn't love having to care about these stupid acronyms. Yeah. But because she has to, to make a living, there's this sense of like, but if they don't matter, then my job doesn't matter. And what I do, you know, 10 hours, nine hours, eight hours a day doesn't matter. Oh so I, I think you can also speak to that and say like, I understand that it's not like if you could order your day however you want, you would not get up and think about these acronyms all day. I understand that frustration. I just want you to know I get it. I share it. I sympathize. I love you. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not just like your work is dumb and stupid and I hate listening about it. It's it's just that there need to be some limits. Yes. Yes, yes. All right. So I have one last letter. This is a, a, a bonus because oh. I forgot that the first one was for the live chat. So you have not heard this one yet, but yes. I will read it and, and you and I will just be able to come up with something on the fly. So the subject is, can I just be frank? Dear Prudence, recently, Frank, a friend in my wider social group, someone we meet up with sometimes but don't know very well, either stole or hacked into his girlfriend's phone and posted private messages that she exchanged with men she was cheating on him with on Facebook. Obviously, cheating is terrible, but I think he crossed a line. I think he did this in order to slut-shame her and isolate her from her friends and family. Initially, my friends agreed. We even reported the incident to Facebook. But when I brought it up again and said that I thought one of us should speak to him, all of my friends got defensive. They said things like, this isn't the Frank we know. Or, well, some people use social media to get back at their exes. Or, we don't really know what's going on. To me, those sounded like excuses for abusive behavior. I tried to explain my, to my friends, using examples from my own life, the reasons why abuse happens don't matter. What matters is that we try to stop him. We should tell him what he did was wrong and ask him to seek help. This did not convince them. I actually sent a note to Frank myself, which expressed what I thought. But I think this whole debacle left things feeling awkward between me and my friends. Was I right to make a fuss about this? Did I overreact as a result of the abuse I suffered? How can I put this incident behind me and move forward? Goodness, you were right. That's terrible. That's terrible. And I'm suspicious of your friends now. I mean, this isn't the Frank we know. I'm sorry it is that he he he, he did it. You know, oh my gosh, this is... Yeah, or, or if this isn't the Frank you know, then that's a really good sign that you should talk to him. Like if you say my friend just acted in a way that is totally inconsistent with what I thought his character was, why on earth wouldn't you go say that to him? Yeah. Unless your friendship is only about feeling comfortable um, and not anything to do with growth or or shared values or treating other people well or helping each other become better versions of yourselves. Like, what are you doing? Um, I guess it might be. I mean, it sounds like he's he's part of the wider social circle. So maybe he's someone just that just comes around every once in a while or something. So maybe maybe they don't feel that kind of closeness to him. But but regardless, it just feels like a moral obligation to to say something. I think you are completely in the right here. That bit about some people use social media to get back at their exes is like, yeah, it's called revenge porn, and we're all working hard to make it illegal. <laughs> right, um, right. And it's super bad. Yeah, this isn't just like taking hot selfies to make them jealous or whatever. Like this is this is messed up. Um this makes me really uncomfortable and I'm kind of like ugh, that sucks that your friends 
didn't react in the same way. That's just, to me, a lot of these letters have been kind of gray and like, oh, I wonder about this, I wonder about that. This, to me, feels really black and white. Do we know what the letter writer said to Frank in the in the note? It just said, I sent a note that expressed what I thought. So my guess was some version of what they wrote here, which is just like, I'm, I'm sorry you got cheated on. I think what you did was really not okay. And I think it was designed to shame and isolate her. And I think you shouldn't do that sort of thing. Um, which strikes me as an eminently reasonable thing to have said. My guess is you either won't hear from him or you'll hear something defensive. But I, I still think it was good for you to have said. Um, I also think it's fine for you to say, like, I'm not comfortable being around Frank and I don't want to. Um, that is a totally reasonable limit for you to draw. And I think to try to find a balance in between, you don't need to try to convince all of your friends to be exactly where you are with this, but neither do you need to put up with it if they try to bring it up again and and justify his behavior or suggest that you need to start hanging out with him again, even if it's only once in a while. That, I think, is a hard limit that you get to draw. Yeah. Um, and frankly, I would also, you know, maybe ask some of your friends, like, so what what to you would be the line? Like, if you think it's okay to use social media to get back at your exes, you know, do, do, do you ever think that there are situations in which it's not justified? Like, under what conditions is it okay to break into somebody else's phone and post messages on their social media accounts? I'm curious. Um, there's just so many ways here in which, like, if you, if you, if your partner cheats on you and you feel hurt and betrayed, there's a lot of room mm-hmm. um, to break up with them, be super mad at them, think very badly of them for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about your hurt and your pain with other people. You know, you can post on your own social media account how angry you are or how hurt you are. All of those are available to you. Um, you don't need to steal their phone and you don't need to publish private conversations that, again, like, while not a good thing that she did. Like, just, I, I don't think that means she forfeits her basic right to be a private person. Um, no. I do have to say yeah. this letter writer strikes me as someone who, um, I don't really want to, like, minimize the, um, honestly, the the courage it took to confront someone about this kind of behavior. I mean, I wonder if you would talk to your friends, maybe one-on-one, or or just get them in a, a space where they can really say what they what they feel. i I wonder if they would agree with you, but just weren't brave enough to to do what you did. I mean, a, a straightforwardness like that, directness like that can be really scary for a lot of people. And it's easier to kind of just, you know, minimize it and say like, well, that must have just been a, a one-off thing. Um, so I, I guess I just am impressed by, um, by your behavior. And yeah. I would be curious what your friends really think if you really talk to them about it. Yeah. And I think... The awkwardness is not something you have to fix. If they feel uncomfortable because you took something seriously that they don't want to take seriously, that's their problem, not yours. Um, And I think right now the thought of like maybe I overreacted because of the abuse that I've suffered in the past is a way of explaining why are all my friends underreacting to this that don't mean I have to think that they're making the wrong choice. And I don't think that that's true. I I think your friends are making the wrong choice. I think a lot of people... um, you know, there's a reason that, like, the fantasy of destroying the life of someone who cheated on you is such a popular one in so many different kinds of, you know, uh, pop culture conversations. Um, often it has to do with wanting to punish and humiliate women. Um, and it's it's just something that I, I think can be disappointing when you realize how 
Many people, in fact, think that you can forfeit a right to not be publicly humiliated or not to have your private conversations, um, uh, you know, put on your own social media without your permission. There are absolutely a lot of people who think, well, if you cheat, you do deserve it. And, you know, they are wrong. Yeah. That is not true. Like, you can still, like, hold true that, like, hurting or, you know, cheating is hurtful and it's unkind and it's damaging and it's painful and it's wrong. And also, you know, it still does not forfeit your right to have certain expectations about privacy, Um, much like, you know, other kinds of, like, lying or bad behavior are also wrong and also should be met with appropriate, you know, conversation or consequence or end of a relationship totally understandable um but yeah finding out how many people kind of think it's actually cool to do this stuff if someone has cheated on you says something about when they think people lose the right to have basic expectations about how they can be treated in public yeah was the i don't remember was the girlfriend part of this friend group too or or was she kind of just frank's girlfriend. it didn't sound like it yeah, yeah it didn't sound like well, regardless, it um, it sounded like we, we don't know frank very well we don't know his girlfriend even yeah we know her even less basically yeah. well that doesn't matter though she's yeah. still a, she's still a person um and this is still messed up <laughs> yeah. yeah if someone cheats on you you break up with them you 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 have conversations with your friends about what hurt you um That is fine. That is allowed. You don't have to say like, oh, you're actually a great person and I forgive you. You're still allowed to get mad. Um, But, you know, just like I I don't I, you know, there's there's, you know, if somebody steals from you, you're not allowed to go like take their dog. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's just a very classic two wrongs don't make a right here. Do you think those friends are kind of obligated or should have felt obligated to um, to also confront Frank? I mean, I think most of us can agree, like, yeah, you don't – this this was an unreasonable thing for him to have done. But I think that I'll, a lot more of us maybe than would like to admit might have done what the friends did and just kind of, well, you know, like, yeah. like it's not my business. Yeah, right? I mean, I don't want to – I don't want to hang them out to dry here yeah. because, you know, they did report it, which I think was they did, a good right. and appropriate response, which was like, this shouldn't be up on Facebook. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to be too, too hard on them here. And if this is a guy they only see every couple of months, um, I, I can also understand it's not like a Carl situation where it's like, this is someone you socialize with almost every day and you're pretty close with. Um, I, I can understand if somebody simply decided like, I'm going to give Frank a wider berth from now on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I would just say I dis I, I think it's important for you to be able to understand where you disagree with your friends, even where you disagree strongly. Uh, I don't think it necessarily means that they would go do this themselves, um, and it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh man, you got to watch all your friends like a hawk now because they might all be secretly the worst. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's okay to like later when things have settled down, revisit the conversation a little bit, or just reiterate again. I don't think there's something that a private citizen can do in terms of like cheating or or being a shitty girlfriend i'm not talking here about like committing acts of abuse themselves or or or, you know trying to harm other people um anyways i'm rambling a bit but yeah basically just like i'm committed to no one should have their private conversations exposed on social media for cheating even though cheating is not good um that's a great line to get to hold to (laughs) yes yes i agree but it is hard i think these last two letters especially um, one of the things that they bring up is just, it's very, very difficult for a lot of people to confront their friends about anything. 
And a lot of people would rather let something fester for years or ghost a friend or ignore something that they claim to care about or value um, because they would rather do anything than say to someone they care about, I think you did something wrong. And specifically a friendship. You know, it's easier, maybe not easier, but um, we're more familiar with having these kinds of tough conversations with in the context of romantic relationships or maybe like family members. Mm -hmm. Those are still hard. But um, but. Yeah, we we don't have them so much with friend friendships, and for kind of good reason. They don't because we're not used to having them. Sometimes they don't go well when you do have them. Um, but right, but that doesn't mean you just. I mean, if you just ignore something, it's not going to go away. So, yeah, you know. and and that's not to say you have to test all your friends constantly, or that if everyone in your life isn't constantly living up to your exact set of ideals, you need to get rid of them all. But I do think it is really good for us all to have a little bit more conflict with some of our friends. Yeah. Um, and at least to get comfortable saying, like, this troubles me or yeah. I think you should reconsider this. Um, but, one, you know, one step at a time. I think there's a lot of work uh, ahead for most of our letter writers, but most of it, I think, feels like hopeful, optimistic, energy-building work. And uh, I'm excited for most of them. Yes, me too. Do you do you hear often from from people for what happens next? You know, I actually got a couple of updates this morning from um, some people, one of whom was uh, thinking about uh, surprising her husband with a vacation that she wanted to save up for kind of like secretly over the next couple of years. And um, somebody else who was worried about attending a funeral where a family member who had previously tried to stab them was going to be. And Whoa. they both had really good updates. They oh, had, great. They had positive choices and, and things oh. went well. So I was very happy That's to hear really about nice. that. because. Yeah, you know, I I, I worry. I, yes, I want to hear bet. back that everyone, you know, got home safe. I know, I know. I feel attached mm-hmm. to these these folks and just these letters. But um, yeah, best wishes for everybody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I just appreciate it more than I can say. And I hope that you have a fabulous rest of the day at work. It's probably <laughs> almost done because you are on the East Times. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you very much for this wonderful excuse to get out of work. Um, this was uh, this was really, really, I mean, I don't, I don't know if fun is the right word, but but I, I really enjoyed talking through all these all these letters. Um, so thanks for having it's me It's invigorating. On. Invigorating. That's a good word. Yes, that's good. Thank you again so much. Come back anytime and have a fabulous rest of the day. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. And, you know, ask yourself, if I met him today, the way that he acts right now, am I impressed? Do I give him a second date? 
And um, would I like to maybe reconsider giving him a sixth year in this relationship? You have just blown my mind, actually. I hope you have blown the letter writer's mind. Of course, of course, that, that's an option. Oh, my gosh. Again, not that you should always think of your relationships from a business perspective, but to think of it as like, do I want to renew my contract with this guy for another year? To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.